Welcome everyone to the Optimal Performance Podcast. My name is Sean McCormick. I'm a life coach, performance coach, wellness entrepreneur, and it's my pleasure to bring to you every single week the world's leaders in the field of performance so that you can live your life at its most optimal level. Plus, cutting edge ideas so that you can stay ahead of the curve in an ever-changing world. Let's dig right in. Oh, what's up? Welcome back to another episode of the Optimal Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Sean McCormick. You can find me on Instagram, Real Sean McCormick. I'm pretty active there. If you want to connect, that's a good place to do it. Also follow Optimal Performance Podcast on Instagram and go to the website. The special offer is coming. The cool stuff is coming, but go to OptimalPerformancePodcast.com. On today's episode, we are joined by Dr. Jeffrey Spencer. Jeffrey Spencer has been on many of my favorite podcasts. He is a performance coach, a life coach, an Olympian, and has worked with some of the most high-performing people on the planet, like U2 and Tiger Woods and Lance Armstrong. Uh, he helped work with Dave Asprey as Dave Asprey was launching Bulletproof. I mean, um, he is he is a legend and fascinating guy who's lived a fascinating life. He's an artist and um this is one of my most favorite podcasts that I've done. Um, just he, this Jeff's way of thinking through problems and understanding what it takes to succeed and perform at a high level. Like this is it, man. This is this is it, and it's a refreshing uh, little shift in the perspective uh, for for people who are inundated with 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 COVID information. In this episode, we talk about how everyone can get to the level of performing at a champion as a champion. We talk about how important it is for you to craft your life and your lifestyle to the goals that you want. And I'm going to say that again, how important it is to craft your life and lifestyle to the goals that you want. This for any entrepreneur that's listening, you know exactly what this is. And for everyone else, no matter what your goals are, how you choose to curate your life, your lifestyle, what you eat, how you party, all that stuff is important in in pertaining to the goals that you want to achieve. Uh, We also talk about uh, during this lockdown, uh, when this thing is over, how are you going to look at yourself? What are you going to say about yourself on the other side of the virus? Did you fold with fear or did you push through and excel and transcend? And this, this conversation outlines a lot of different ways on how to think about going and doing that. Uh, Jeff has written a special white paper uh, called How Not to Blow It Just Before You Win, which I think is an awesome name. It's 27 pages. It's a free PDF. If you go to drjeffspencer.com forward slash one, um, it's also followed by a, a video tour of some of the uh, frameworks that he's come up with, which people that I know have taken and, and, and worked with him and they are they are blown away on how it helps them improve. We also talk about goal setting. We talk about the how to set the right goal, not just a smart goal or a lofty goal, but just like the absolute just he actually just texted me as I'm reading this. <laughs> That's awesome. Holy cow. He just texted me. That's so killer. Uh, it's, it's so it's, it's, this is the quintessential performance podcast episode and it's one of my favorites to date. Um, there's so much in it. You're going to want to take notes. So if it's on your phone or in, in a notepad, take those notes. Um, this episode is brought to you 
by natural stacks. And if you need some vitamin D because you're inside all the time, that is the place to get it. It's the best quality. It's tested. It's uh, the ingredients are traceable. It is it is really awesome stuff. You can go to uh, naturalstacks.com and use OPP25 for 25% off your first online order. This episode is also brought to you by Blue Blocks. I wear blue blockers at night because as soon as the sun goes down, I need to begin to prepare for sleep. Even though I'm working like I am right now at 1030, wearing my blue blocks, sleep plus glasses, uh, you have to protect your eyeballs at night. If you're just looking at screens or even if you're wearing them inside with uh, just typical light inside your house, you're keeping yourself awake longer than you need to be. Uh, it is the most essential biohacking equipment that, that I own. And uh, I also wear the summer glow glasses in Seattle where it's, you know, sort of gray outside. It's nice to wear a nice yellow lens that, uh, that sort of makes me feel a little bit more peppy. Um, blue blocks is lab tested. They're the most stringently tested blue blocking glasses in the, on the planet. And that means a lot. We want to make sure that our biohack equipment is dialed in and legit and, for me, these are super game changers. So go to blueblocks.com and use the code OPP for 15% off your pair of blue blocks. You will not regret a dollar that you spend on these bad boys. Plus, they look cool. Honestly, they're a conversation starter. I'm so excited to release this episode. This was a quick turnaround. Um, I'm, 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 I'm just, you're going to love this. So take some notes. You're not going to want to listen to this one at, at top speed at, at one and a half or one and a quarter speed, you're going to want to slow down and absorb all of this information that you're about to get. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Jeff Spencer. And we're here with Dr. Jeff Spencer from the Champions Blueprint. Jeff, I'm so excited to have you. Welcome to the Optimal Performance Podcast. Well, you said the magic word performance. Anytime I hear it, I'm interested. So thanks for the invite. Appreciate it a lot, Sean. I, I'm, I'm, ex- I'm really excited to talk to you, not only because of the, the people that you've gotten results for from Tiger Woods to you two to Lance Armstrong to countless organizations to Dave Asprey, the, the pre-bulletproof Dave Asprey to the post-bulletproof <laughs> Dave Asprey. Um, I'm, there's so many different avenues I want to go down. But I would like to begin by by shortly sort of recapping your your trajectory as an athlete and then a coach and and now the 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 vastness of expertise that you have now. If you could just sort of give give everyone a, an idea of how you got where you are. Well, it really started when I was seven. I just wanted to be an Olympian, and I thought that'd be the coolest thing ever. And I didn't know the sport yet, but I just thought marching into the stadium on the opening day parade would be just the best thing ever. And then when I was 11, I showed some very unusual talent on a bicycle. And I realized, well, maybe becoming an Olympic cyclist is a pathway there. And uh, so I gave myself 10 years and I had an amazing uh, coach that was a three-time Olympian, five-time national champion. And he taught me how to win. He said, you know, winning is a skill. It's a learned behavior. And I need to make sure that you know how to win first, and then we can develop you as a cyclist. It's not about trying harder, wanting it bad enough, wanting it worse than anybody else. It's really to win and to win big. It's deliberate. It's intentional. It's supposed to happen. It's by design. 
So I had a very unique interface from the early teens about what that was. And then uh, when I was, uh, I started my uh, uh, scholastic career at the University of Southern California when I was 18, studying sports science as a uh, educational opportunity student because I literally came from a welfare uh, family. And uh, when I was 18, I had aspirations of becoming Olympian. I was now um, seven years into the 10 year commitment. Legs were getting big, you know, mentality getting sharp, you know, on track. And then I started uh, school. Um, I rode my bike to school and back is hundred miles every day as part of my base training. And then I did my strength training, my speed training on the velodrome complimentary to that. And uh, then when I was also 18, I met my life mentor meaning that he became a custodian of crafting sides of me that were outside the athletic world. And uh, he was a, a trained uh, metallurgist. He was a true Renaissance man. He was a Victorian, born in the late 1890s, uh, was a poet, a playwright, an author, won an Emmy for a film that was done about his creative philosophy. And he was also the developer of a brand new type of art glass sculpture work that he chose me to be his apprentice. So that was really unusual aspirational athlete with Olympic potential student now becomes artistic apprentice to glass master. So really unique. It, what the gift that he gave me was, is that um, during the breaks between when I was helping him craft his masterpieces on the weekend in Santa Barbara, California, he would read poetry to me. He would read the great philosophers he would fill me up on the classics. Uh, it, he said, I need to fill you up on this along with classical music. And again, the likelihood of that having any significance was remote to say the least, but yet it did land with me. And it crafted a side to me that nobody thought was there, but he did it in such a way that it then became another lens that I was experiencing and responding to life by. And then uh, at 21, uh, that was you know, three years later, I, I did become an Olympian, so that was the first box to check off the aspirations. And I think an important part about this is to say that the Olympics chose me, I didn't choose it, meaning that it just showed up. There was a gravity there. I felt a tug. I felt a calling that I had to answer, which became an important lesson for me about how I do life. And then once I graduated uh, and completed my stint at the Olympics, uh, and got my master's degree in sports science. I became an advisor to athletes that wanted to win gold medals and get paid millions of dollars as professionals. And then I had a slew of business people come to me saying that I need to become my own champion in business to create a legacy and a life with which I'm capable. You must know something about that. Can you help me? And that's where my professional advisory began. And that was like 45 years ago. And something then interesting happened where the athlete said, my career longevity is my key to my bigger future. How do I not get injured and how do I bounce back quickly? And then the business people said, look, I don't want to be like my same age counterparts where they're all dying of heart attacks and strokes in their early 40s. How do I avoid that? And I went back to school then to chiropractic college to get my licensure to be able to be a primary healthcare provider, which gave me this unique tripod. I knew what it's like to perform at the top because I lived it as an Olympian. You know, to read about it, to interview Olympians, it's not the same as doing it. And if you're talking about nuanced approaches to fine tuning and finding the elusive one or 2% that makes the difference, it can't come from another book. You know, it really has to come from something you know about yourself in life that the others don't, that you can help craft 
the path forward for others. And then I had the how not to get injured and how to get, how to not get sick side. And then I also had the understanding of how to craft a body that could push. If you can't push, you're not going to have a great life. If you can't stay in the game long enough because you blow yourself up, then you're going to shorten your legacy. So I had this kind of three pronged view of life that was 360 degrees that allowed me to look at life from every angle. And with that kind of unique vantage point, uh, I got to work with Tiger. I got to work with Lance. I got to do nine Tour de France is one, eight of them. Uh, Time on Branson's Island, uh, working with the rock group YouTube, preparing for world tours. I mean, kind of the list goes on and on. But to say, because I was kind of a master in the whole, uh, in the whole W-H-O-L-E, rather than just a specialist in a part, it allowed me to oversee everything that had to go right to evolve a person's ability to perform at their highest level, at their full potential consistently over time. And that's what gained me access to uh, uh, where I've been. And then something happened 10 and a half years ago that changed my life permanently forever, which was uh, the adoption of my uh, now 21 year old daughter at the age of 10 from Columbia, which is a very unusual adoption because you know, people look at older kids as damaged goods and behavior nightmares you know, which I think they're right to, because I lived that nightmare for a long time raising our daughter. But rather than give the kid back after a year, like most people do, and then get divorced, like generally happens, we stayed the course. And I applied every ounce of my knowledge working with high achievers to get them beyond the stuff that's holding them back. I applied that to my daughter. And I'm proud to say that, you know, after nine and a half years of my wife crying every day, because it was so difficult that now she uh, just completed uh, her junior year of college. And that for sure has been my most uh, crowning achievement of all time. So I'm now kind of emerging from that, getting back to the, uh, the volume of play that I experienced previously to, to the adoption. Mm. So there you have it. Other than that, not much. <laughs> <laughs> Just pretty average, you know? <laughs> we're we're going to need, so we're going to need a part two and a part three and a part four. I know already. Can everyone, can anyone regardless of their, of their background, get themselves to a level of being a champion? Yes, I'll say that absolutely. Um, because there's only one of us in all of creation. There's only one Sean, there's only one Jeff. There's nobody like us in the complete uh, miracle of the human species, which uniquely qualifies us to do some extraordinary things that it are full potential will manifest a legacy of value and showcase our uniqueness. And the other thing that uh, every one of us does have a champion side that does want to create a life of value and contribution. I've never met a person that could wait to get up and fail. I've never seen it, but I do know a lot of people that are underachieving that wish they could do more. And so I will say that again, winning big is not an accident. It's intentional. It's done by design. Uh, some of the myths of how we achieve goals really talk people out of being able to develop and craft and live through their greatness, um, which I find a bit tragic. And I also feel that there's a couple of things is that we cannot run our blind spots. Therefore, we need some outside guidance to avoid preventable problems that could hold us hostage for a lifetime. And that can be a mentor, be of sound counsel to us in our journey. And we also need a methodology and a roadmap, which every champion has 
to get from where they are to where they want to go. It's not like people think it is. If you want it bad enough, it isn't going to happen. If you don't have the skills to get there, you're not going to get there. You know, so again, the answer to that is yes, and yes, and and even more yes. We just need to understand the process better. Yeah, I I know that you know this is a unique time in human history. You know, we're 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 all dealing with adversity. Um, every single person on the entire planet is is facing um, a, a totally historic event, and. I have a suspicion that there is going to be a disparity between the people that choose to take this as an opportunity to grow and to achieve and to set clear goals and to execute upon them and those who kind of sit back and wait and, and hope that things turn around for them. Um, when you talk about goal setting, I know that you have a unique um, framework for goal setting. Um, would you mind walking us through your your goal setting framework and how this may be applicable for the average person who is just just trying to make it through this this tough time yeah well thank you for that and to only say that like in the champion space and i'm not saying that that's just athletic champions we have ourselves as potential champions in any domain that's of interest to us and any significance uh, there's a really important distinction here is that goal setting is only goal setting and goal setting doesn't mean or guarantee goal achievement. They're two completely different things. And yet most of the courses out there are all about goal setting, you know, and it usually goes, get the biggest goal that you can think of. What's your moonshot at five years old. You should know what that is. Maybe have, you know, 10 or 20 moonshots. And my deal is, well, wait a minute. I, I think before we, go after the big ambitions, why don't we learn how to achieve goals first so that we have some assurance that we know what's coming to avoid preventable problems that allow us to get to where we want to go in a reasonable time with appropriate effort. And so after maybe 30, 40 years of working with high achievers, I had a lot of success and it wasn't about the discipline because, you know, business, don't ask me about pencil sharpeners and ink cartridges. I don't know, you know, what, club should tiger use don't ask me you know ask his putting coach but the process of creating greatness in a methodology and a path to follow i've actually cracked the code and decoded that and that's a, a process by which goal selection is part of it but it's only one part of it so if we let's say that you come to me and you want to win a gold medal i would say well okay there are kind of two major things that we need to do here and that's the champion's golden rule. You do the homework and the test is easy. Meaning that we prepare well and then we perform to achieve it. Two parts of this, the preparation creates the readiness, the execution of it is then the performance side of it. And so at any point in time, we're either preparing or we're performing. And each one of those parts has got five steps that history has revealed to be true by looking at the people that I've worked with that have all gone through to consistently, predictably, and repeatedly achieve their goals. So if we look at the preparation side, preparation kind of has five steps. Number one, do you have goal clarity? Are you pursuing the right goal? There's big goals, there's big Hogdarius goals, there's moonshots, there's average goals, there's stretch goals, there's big goals. So do you have the right goal? That's the question. It's not about the smart goal. It's about the right goal. 
you have the right goal, then there's much more likelihood that you're going to achieve it. And I've actually created a process by which we can take any goal that we have aspirations to achieve and we could challenge it against a set of criteria that help define for us whether it's the right goal or not. And when we have the right goal, it aligns our mind, body, and soul, where we have an alignment, we have a truth and a testimony within ourselves that this is absolutely the right goal to pursue because I've gone through a vetting process to confirm that that is the case. And when we have that, then our anxiety drops, our confidence increases, rather than just spinning out right goal, wrong goal, too much, too little, what am I doing? Maybe I should do this. I'm afraid, but maybe I should just do it anyhow. I mean, the general anxiety that surrounds the whole goal achievement process, that recedes into the background. And then we have a very special type of focus called goal focus. Goal focus, gocus, is what I call it, trademark word, where you can hyper-focus on the stuff in front of you to get stuff done, to move forward towards goal completion. But you also have a peripheral awareness of things that are going on around you where you might actually see a better option to take your goal that you thought was the right goal. You could take it to a bigger, better, faster if you decide to recognize the opportunity and adjust, you may see a blind side starting to form uh, in the periphery that could take you out of the game and you can avoid it. So without this goal focus, you're playing with a severe uh, liability and at risk for perhaps not being able to achieve your goal. Preparation, you know, do we have the right reasons for doing it? Do we have the right motives? We need to know that because when we do, then it gives us drive. It gives us an insistence to stay in the game and push through difficulty. In preparation, do we understand the impact of our goal on ourselves, on others, on our legacy and the world around us? Have we really taken the time to ask those questions? Because if we have and we answer them in the affirmative, then it gives us purpose. It gives us a different level of commitment and tenacity to engage and pursue and achieve the goal. Without purpose, it's very difficult to reach aspirational goals. Now, be mindful, we haven't even started pursuing the goal yet. We're still preparing. Then we look at mindset. And mindset in many people's minds means that if I want it bad enough, it's gonna happen, or I just mow down anything in my way because I have incredible will, nothing's gonna stop me. Or maybe I write my gratitude journals, or I say my affirmations, or I think positive. All those things have a certain value, but the mindset that I'm talking about is having a street fighter warrior mentality to be able to take on the real stuff of life as it surfaces moment by moment. And do you have the courage to do what has to go right to move forward towards the goal? And can you outrun the voice inside your head that's trying to talk you out of it or the other people in your life that are not encouraging you? So it's a very different type of mindset compared to what most people think of. So much so that I've devoted an entire chapter in my program, the Goal Achievement Roadmap, to mindset. That's how important this is. And then the final thing we need in preparation is resources. Do we have enough time and energy? Do we have enough skill and knowledge? Do we have enough materials and supplies? Do we have a great team? Do we have actually a roadmap, a plan to be able to follow to get to where we want to go? And so having gone through deliberately those five different areas to gain the outcomes that are necessary to begin starting to pursue a goal, it's maybe not a good idea to start unless you've thoroughly vetted that 
for accuracy of what you need to have specific to your goal. And do you have enough of that to responsibly start? Hmm. People, I think, don't do near enough uh, preparation in their goal achievement, let alone have a relationship with the goal that creates a deep heart and soul relationship with it. I think people uh, are driven by fear. They think that if I don't start now, somebody's going to take my idea. If I don't start now, I'm going to get left behind. I'm never going to get there. If I don't trust the universe, the universe is going to take the opportunity away. And all of that is garbage. You know, what, what we need is that we need evidence that we're prepared because the evidence that we're prepared gives us the confidence to start responsibly rather than recklessly. And that's what we want. So once we have signed off on our preparation, there's only one thing left to do. That's to push go. You know, <laughs> thinking about it longer isn't going to do you any good. But you have to be to that be, be at that place first. So let's kind of look at what the second half of this looks like, where you're actually now pursuing the goal in what I call Division Two performance of the roadmap. And the first thing is is to make sure that you apply your preparation correctly to get a good start, so you're out of the gate safely. And people, just because you think that you're well prepared, that doesn't mean that you're going to start strong. You need to come out of the gate strong. The racehorse has got to get out of the gate. The sprinter has got to get out of the blocks. And if they stumble out of the blocks and all their preparation goes in the toilet and their ability to finish in line with their potential uh, follows it down the drain. That's why we need to make sure that we have a well-scripted and personalized starting procedure to gain the first sign of visual goal achievement or identifiable goal achievement. It's a very important milestone in the process itself. The second part of this is that once we have initial traction and evidence that we're now up and running, generally this is where people start to think, well, that was easy. Now I've got to where I want to go. Everything's on track. All I need to do is just hang on for the ride and I'll get to the winner's circle. And that's not true at all because generally when we have our first confirmation that uh, we can't achieve our goal, then we lapse into what I call honeymoon euphoria where we start to believe, oh yeah, man, I'm as good as there. Everything's off to a great start. I just need to hang on and we'll get there. But what do we know about all honeymoons? They all wear off, right? And so there is going to come a time where your motivation is going to naturally drop and it should drop. But if we don't know it's supposed to drop, then we're going to take it as a sign that it's the wrong plan. I'm not capable of this. I came up with the inappropriate goal. Uh, I don't have the skills to make, make this happen. You know, therefore, I should maybe quit at this moment in time. And that's absolutely ridiculous. It's like once the honeymoon's over, then we're really in the goal achievement process. It's actually a sign of progress. We make a couple of course corrections. We adjust everything to the reality now that our plan has actually met reality. We see what our plan and preparation gave us, maybe almost too good. Maybe it gave us what we expected. Maybe it was less than expected. So we make an adjustment to that. And then at that point, then we think, okay, cool. I've got evidence that this is going to work. I made some corrections. I didn't misinterpret my motivation drop as being something that was uh, inappropriate or a sign that I couldn't do it. So now it's going to be free, free sailing. Well, not exactly, because this is where you start a vertical climb, which I call, let me share what this is. Have you ever been or done something where you're saying to yourself, this is ridiculous. It's like, I'm not getting anything close back to the time for the time and effort that I'm putting into this. This is ridiculous. It's like, I hate this. I don't know, even know if I want to get up tomorrow. Maybe I should just quit now. I'm so disgusted with myself in this entire process. 
what the, the futility of this, yet why don't I just forget this? Well, there's a little trick here that your brain's playing on you. Your brain is trying to make you think that you can't do it because it's tough. Well, here's what the champions know. Champions know that there is going to be a daily grind. There is going to be a place in every aspirational goal where you're hating life because you're not getting back what you think you deserve. But that's a mind trick. That's your survival self, not your champion self, trying to talk you out of doing something very good. And what we know is that during the daily grind when it's tough, that's when you're battle hardening yourself as a warrior in goal achievement where you're learning the lessons that you need to learn to toughen yourself up, to be able to not give up and to push things through. That's what that is. And the promise of this difficult period, if you don't quit, let's put it this way. If you don't screw it up by not being prepared, if you don't screw it up by not having a starting procedure, if you don't screw it up by overspending in the honeymoon phase, well, your next chance to screw it up is in the daily grind where you prematurely quit because you misread the difficulty as a sign you can't do it rather than an essential part that's got to be there to toughen you up. But the promise is, is that if you do the right things to stay in the game when you're in the daily grind, you know how to recognize it, you know the metrics to watch, you know what you need to cultivate, you'll get up one day believing that you can do it. And that's a very important milestone. And when that happens, then you just need to have another uh, experience that confirms to you that you can achieve your goal. So for example, myself, once I kind of had belief that I could do it, there was still a little bit of a doubt, but I knew that if I beat a national champion or an Olympian in a national championship, then I could become an Olympian. There was tangible evidence that I could do it. It didn't make me an Olympian, but it told me I could be because I beat an Olympian. That's all I needed to see. So I did qualify for the national cycling championship and I did face the national champion in the semifinals and I did beat him on the first round. And then he beat me two after that technical error, amateurish mental mistakes. And so he went on to become a second term a champion where I got the bronze medal, but I actually went home with the gold medal because it told me I could do it. <laughs> Nine months later, I didn't rush too hard to get fit too fast. I didn't try to polish my fitness too much where I overtrained and got injured or sick. I kept a very moderate pace. I rested as much as I needed to, to make sure I recovered from each workout. And nine months later, I became an Olympian. So that's the roadmap that history has shown us that it takes to prepare well and how we need to perform and what we should expect in the process of goal achievement. And it kind of did start with the right goal. And that's kind of where the goal setting side comes into it. But unless we add the structure that informs us about our experience as being correct or incorrect, we're probably going to misinterpret it because that's what that part of our human nature does. That's fear-based mm -hmm. A little voice inside of us that talks to try to talk us out of everything. That's where it can get a foothold in and talk us out of some things that we could do that would be very good for our confidence and our ability to manifest uh, our best self and our best legacy. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great conception. That's a really, uh, it's really clear to me. I, I'd like to, I'd like to drill down a little bit on, on fear, uh, especially since it's, it's so relevant. I mean, it's always relevant. It's never not been relevant because we have this reptilian brain that, uh, that's for the most part calling the shots um, keeping us in an emotional state, as you said, like the human state. And for folks who are just having a heck of a time managing their fear, um, fear around um, 
not being able to anticipate what's going to come next, um, financial fear, health fear, uh, familial fear, just just media um, enhanced levels of of fear and and tentativeness that that just keep keep people from even you know taking off changing out of their sweatpants or shaving or you know like let alone going out into the garage and swinging some kettlebells around or jumping on a stationary bike um what are some what are some techniques or or how do you think of some approaches that people can they can immediately use to begin to transcend that ever present sense of foreboding and fear that that's that so many of us are are coping with right now we first need to understand the nature of fear itself. And the way that I see this is that we have a human nature because virtue of the fact that we're human and human nature is very predictable. If you see this, you can be guaranteed that 99% of all people will act like this and that's how they're interpreted. But what I want to say about this is that the way human nature is made up is that we actually have two mindsets that make up our human nature that are at war with each other 24 hours a day for control over our thinking and our decision-making. Let me explain. We have a high-speed biologic fear-based response to imminent danger that's only designed for survival and self-preservation. And that's our first instinct. And because in times of imminent danger we need a high-speed reflex that can take us out of harm's way faster than we can think that's transcendent to normal neurology that's very slow and so an example have you ever slipped on ice and your hand knows where to put itself to break the fall but you couldn't think fast enough to put your hand where it needed to go you ever had that sure yeah yeah well how about a car driving through an intersection, somebody runs a red light, but you know how to turn the car to avoid the collision. But again, you look and like, where did that come from? Right. Well, I mean, clearly something was listening and deliberate and purposeful in that response. That wasn't just a random quirk. And so those were both survival mechanisms, correct? Yeah. And we could also take this to the verbal dimension. Is anybody on this podcast Ever thought about saying something to someone that sounded really appropriate at the time? And then you said it and you realized one second later, that was a really stupid thing to say. Why did I do that? I wonder if I can ever bridge the gap that I just created. Can I take five seconds back, please? Yeah. That seemed like such a great idea at the time. And it was faster than I could think, correct? It was an impulse that seemed right. right. Well, it may be right for survival, but it may not be right for creating excellence. So we, we do have experiential evidence that there is something faster than we can think that does protect us in moments of uh, where the necessity is to survive. We can't deny that. Uh, so it, when we look at that, it's about survival. It's not about excellence. If you want to win gold medals or create a life of significance, you, you, if you respond to life through that, then you're dead because you, you can't get there through fear and survive. You can't get there. But the other side of this is that we do have a human nature side to us, which is the counterpoint to this, that does want to create a life of significance and a life of value and contribution. I've never met a person quick to get up and fail. I've never seen it. But I, I know a lot of people that, you know, again, live 
lives of despondency because they're not able to connect their talents with tangible life results. You know, and if you ask anybody, if they're really honest with you, they'll say, well, they want to be famous. Well, why? Because you want to be recognized, you know, is, is valued and is of significance. And there is a spawning instinct in us. It's perhaps even stronger than the voice inside of us that tries to talk us out of everything that does want us to contribute, that does want to leave our mark of, of our uniqueness. And so these two forces, let me ask everybody this. Have you ever just 24 hours a day felt a low-grade anxiety about life? You just feel kind of out of whack, you know, just you have, you know, moments of clarity and flow. I get that. You have moments of high turbulence, but then there's kind of a, a background uneasiness. And that's the tug of war between our survival nature and our champion's nature. And the question is, who are you going to listen to? Mm. Are you going to follow your survival impulses? Well, if that's the way you're going to do it, then just planning to have a life of mediocrity. If you want to follow your champion's nature that's uh, really geared towards the creation of excellence and, and value and transcendent performance, well, then you're going to have to override the human side because the survival instinct is high speed. It's faster than you can think. And so you'll have to override that, which you can, through the application of the things that have to go right. So we have these two parts to us. So if we mm. kind of look at this through the eyes of, well, what would our experience be with this? So let's say uh, I give you an opportunity. Well, what, what's your human nature, high-speed, fear-based response going to respond to that opportunity with? Well, what do I stand to lose here? Hold on a second. I don't know if I want to do anything. This is too risky. You know, it's like, or I want everything for myself. I don't want to share. There's not enough room for every people. So... I'm going to hoard for myself. I'm going to hold on to something I'm not going to tell you about. So if everything dries up, I'm taken care of and you're not. Ha ha. I'm not, I don't want to hug either, by the way, you know, and then on the other side of that, given an opportunity, you know, the champions are like, well, what do I stand to gain here? You know, they're playing a good offense. They're not playing a bad defense. They're playing a really good offense. Like, what do I do with this? Can I actually demonstrate something that boosts my capacity and can it be a case study for other people to emulate? Because if I can do it, they can do it. So it's a completely different biology with different outcomes. Fear-based response, mediocrity, that's the best you're gonna get. You're gonna be frustrated and you're gonna live your life through impulse. You know, a lot of people see, they identify that with them, correct? Well, that's just me. I'm just born to be overreacted to everything and lash out. That's garbage. You weren't born like that. You know, you've aligned yourself with that high-speed reflex. It's not you that's survival-based. You're a prisoner to it, you know? I don't think that's the real you. I think that's the imposter you, if you want to know the truth. Where on the other side of this, I, I think people have got the imposter syndrome wrong, actually. So if, if we look at the idea of this other way of looking at life that we have to apply to maintain, which is the champion's way, the champion's way is we know something about life and ourselves that, that others don't that allows us to transcend our survival impulses that allows us to create greatness. But to do that, we have to apply it to override the natural tendency to respond uh, through means that historically have never proven themselves to deliver on their, pro on their promise. So why I bring this up is to, this is the way that I see it like right now, is that right now uh, we're in a difficult spot. 
because of the virus situation. It's not the virus. It's the way that we responded to the virus. You know, it's the way that we responded to it, but we're not going to have a discussion about that. We're just going to say that when we're surrounded in a situation that is a threat to us, then what part of us is going to respond to that? Of course, it's going to be our survival instinct, our human nature. But I don't know about you, but I don't want to be, I don't like human nature. Uh, I want to be like supernatural in a certain sense that I want to come from a place that demonstrates the ability to transcend that which doesn't lead to, to excellence. And so when you're in this situation, the paralyzing fear of being left with less than or being left behind is our primal human fear of being left alone, no contact, banished to the phantom zone. So what's our antidote for this? Is that rather than sit and play good defense and wait, because when we wait, it opens up the opportunity for the default fear instincts to play havoc with our mind that will catastrophize everything. Mm. Anxiety goes up, our health goes down. We don't show up and be the person that we wanna be or people deserve for us to be. Everything gets turned upside down. These are the champion secrets, so listen up everybody. Number one is that every champion feels like that because they're human. There are no exemptions from that. How do I know that? Well, when I work with you too, you know, sometimes before they go on stage, they're like lunatics because there's a lot of pressure, right? But when they go on stage, they know what to do to execute what has to go right to make it through the eye of the needle. So it's kind of the same thing for us. Don't expect to be fear-free to then be capable of taking action. And that's what our survival instinct tries to make us think. It tries to make you think and me think, well, you can't take action now until this calms down. That's not true. You could take action right now and what has to go right, well, that subsides and that's what we actually should do. Because as long as we're trapped by the mythology of that, then we stay stuck and our, and our fear grows and our difficulties compound. So first off to recognize that, that our survival instinct, you can't shut it off. It's on 24 hours a day. It's with us every waking, every, actually every moment of our life here on this planet. You can't shut it off. You just have to put something in front of it that then controls the actions that leads to the outcome that we desire. So that being said, is there a reason to be fearful? Yeah, when you watch you know, the stock market you know, drop 30% like in a day, yeah, that's a reason to put anybody on edge, you know, because you're thinking, how do I take care of my family, et cetera. This isn't about the stock market, but it's about us. And so what do we do with this? We immediately get into solution, meaning that, okay, I'm here. What do I need to do now to not dig a bigger hole for myself by overreacting? What do I need to do to stop the hemorrhage? And that's what we take action on immediately right now to prevent a further decline in function or whatever. Very first thing. And then what you do, then you gather those people that are in your fear influence and you describe to them what our strategy will be over the next given period of time. I said period of time, meaning that, okay, right now we don't know where this is going. For us to conjecture where it's going would be foolish because all that does is increase our anxiety, which reduces the accuracy of our decision-making. So why don't we not do this? Let's let the feathers settle on this a little bit. In between now and then, let's give it two weeks. And during this two weeks, this is what we're going to do. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. So when you name a block of time, 
your mind can understand what it needs to do for that set period of time. But if you just say, well, let's just see how it goes, then that's an open-ended loop that your mm -hmm. mind then starts to catastrophize. But if you bookend it for the next two weeks, like what, May 26th through, you know, there is not no May 36th, but into June, then we can work with that because it's a known commodity that we can fill with things that seem reasonable to do. So that way we're still playing offense in a situation where most people are going into the cave and isolating and not being part of the game and they're losing ground and their fear is escalating mm. and how they're performing now becomes the not them, the imposter them rather than the real them that could be demonstrating leadership at a time that's unprecedented like in human history. So getting into solution and exploring every opportunity in a responsible way to make sure that we have the necessary assets to do what's reasonable for the knowledge that we know like right now. You don't need to know everything to take the right actions for now, it's not necessary. And I think to me, that's the most valuable thing that you can do. And then you start to conserve your resources by every means possible. Everything gets shut down that's not essential to hang on to the resources. You know, and you just look at this as a temporary question that will be answered in time. And then we'll decide what to do with it as we're getting more and more information. But, you know, the mind wants security and it'll do anything for security. But sometimes you can't give yourself security, but don't start guessing about what it could possibly be. Because then when you catastrophize, you drag yourself and you drag everybody underneath, under the water. Mm. It's like, we don't, we don't want to do that. So... Anyhow, that's kind of a description of some things that I think that are really important. It's like, if you understand that side of us, then you'll have a lot more compassion on us as individuals, as humans. Right. And how we make decisions. You know, that's kind of what my DNA is all about. I, I just, I'm not, I'm not interested. Like my daughter, every day she went to school, when, she did, when we adopted her, she didn't speak English. We didn't speak Spanish. We started with sign language. She had no school. And her life was a living hell for the first 10 years with brutality, getting beat up, blood drawn, you know, and every cruelty you could imagine was her life for 10 years. And still, like when she left to go to school every day, when she didn't understand English, I told her, don't be average. She didn't even know what that meant, but I <laughs> wanted to start etching her mind to hearing, this wor hearing these words, don't be average, don't be average. And, you know, there were some challenges, of course, in raising her. She was raised as an animal, a thief. You know, what do you expect? So there's going to be a little, you know, kicking and, you know, little challenges, you know, getting beyond that. But, the, you know, the point is here is that I think we need to make a decision. Do you want to be average and natural in this situation? Or do you want to be human? Or do you want to be superhuman, supernatural? Not for your own sake, but to demonstrate for you that you do have a sane life and what the quality is going to be. And you are going to demonstrate for people a real example of what's possible. To me, that's a reason enough to do it. If you can't do it for yourself, do it for other people. Hmm. So that people have a certain level of belief in humanity, not waiting for some expert that's never lived to come out with some statistic, you know, that may or may not be correct or relevant for the context, you know? So I, I think we really need to look at this in, in, in a slightly different way. Wow. That, that, I'm struck by your clarity. I'm not surprised by it. I'm struck by it. And the, the, the idea of, 
of striving to be superhuman, to be your best, to, to, to be even better than your best. Yeah. If, if you can't do it, if you can't do it for you, if that's not yeah. enough motivation for you to, to, to work harder, to put the time in, to think, to recover, to keep your anxiety lower and manageable, to make the right choices on the right path to, to the right goal. If you can't do it for you, do it for, do it Absolutely. for others. Oh man, that is Absolutely. profound. Absolutely. Another thing I'm going to suggest too, if I can, is that I learned many things from raising my daughter. Uh, my wife cried for nine years and nine months. It was so difficult. It was hellacious to say the least at many levels. But I didn't blame my daughter for that because my daughter was only reflecting the presence of being that she was around and how she was treated. And I realized from that that the most important decision we can make any day is how we're going to show up for others. You know, and when we find a way to come from our highest self to be the person that people deserve us to be, hmm. it helps them because we're showcasing a possibility that calls them to a higher game. But it's also really good therapy for us because it allows us to break the chains of our past where things that once worked or maybe have become obsolete, the shelf life has expired because they're no longer serving us well. That's like a way beyond that. You know, and a lot of people would say, well, that's not really me. That's garbage. That's the real you. That's the champion you. What are you talking about? The imposter you is the one that's temperamental, that throws the tantrum. You know, what, like the world's supposed to revolve around your little diva quirks. I mean, I'm sure. So let's get over it. So I, I just feel like, you know, right now, if we can make a conscious decision every day how we're going to show up, despite the external challenges, and never forget who we are, then on the other side of this, we will emerge as an entirely different person. Hmm. You know, when I was raising our daughter, um, I had to cut my uh, income and my business reach by 90% overnight when I realized how difficult it was going to be. I said, nope, if I'm going to be a gold medal dad, you know, which I am, that's my DNA. I'm not calibrated towards the bronze medal. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but my aspirational level is not that because my, I just don't have the DNA for that. And so I realized you got to do what you got to do. That's kind of like the Olympian way, whatever it takes to get through now that you're guided and you have to do to get through now it, perfectly as revealed to you, that's where you got to put your faith and that's where you got to put your time and your effort. And that's where you got to put your work in. And so I did that, and, you know, you know, driving around a 15 year old car, you know, being Lance's guy, helping win eight Tour de France's and doing all this other stuff. It may not have made sense to people from the outside, but I knew why, because every ounce of resource that we had went to the tutors, the doctors, the psychologists, the coach, everything that we needed to keep my daughter in the game. You know, we were literally paying for a staff of 20 people not to do her work for her, but to keep her in the game long enough because of the depravity of her experience to have a chance to catch up, mm. you know, and she's a brilliant kid. But if you can't get out from underneath, if, if you're drowning, there's no life preserver, you can't get there. So, so my point is about this is that, you know, even though I was living perhaps in a way that didn't make sense to people knowing what I was doing and giving to others, but they didn't realize where the resources and time and effort were going to make that happen. I was okay with that because I didn't forget who I was, Man. you know, and I made a conscious decision based upon my daughter to say that it's unfair for us to, to heap any additional burden on anybody because life is difficult enough, just us going through it by ourselves. Mm. 
you know, more than one, zero people in a room, there's trouble. So I, I just want to say that right now you could decide how you, what, what type of person are you going to say about you on the other side of the virus? Is it going to be, is it going to be, I, I couldn't get beyond my fear-based um, human nature and I was a prisoner to that? Or is it going to be, I was faced with an option that I chose to do things that didn't come naturally to me because I didn't want to live a natural experience and whine and snivel and complain and be fearful. I wanted to step outside of that during this time. And I chose to do that. And I found out that I could. And this is what I learned from that. And so we do have choices right now that I think we, we need to really ask of ourselves. What are we going to say about ourselves on the other side of this? Yeah. That, that, I mean, that, that, Bong. I mean, that hit me right between the eyes. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's especially relevant for me with two, with two small kids, um, being a, being a gold medal dad, um, that's just going to echo for, for a long, long time for me. Um, but the, I think a really important key takeaway for, for, for both myself and for others is what, what's important to you. And if, what are you, what do you have to say no to, in order to be better in another area. And I think a lot of folks keep up with the Joneses and they just sort of, they just sort of assume their, their consumption. They assume their lifestyle. They assume certain roles that they think they have to play clothes. They have to wear, you know, the, they, they believe that they have to um, present in a certain way. And then they wonder why they're, um, why their why their relationship with their family is is challenged, or why um, why they can't recover, why they can't get a break, and and to hear someone like yourself say, "I had to cut it by ninety percent in order to allocate my time and attention yeah. and resources to to be the sort of father that I know I can be," that's yeah. really important. And I think that, that that you know, for people listening to to really think about what they can let go of, what they should let go of right now in this moment in order to be the person that they want to be in, in now and in the future and on the on, on the other side of this virus if if you're if, if it's an expenses thing or a lifestyle thing or just you know if you're staring at your phone all day every day and you're home with your kids and your kids are there and they're just watching you look at your phone all day every day like make some hard choices that are aligned with the person that you want to become. I think that's really important for people yeah, to hear. It, it is. It is. It's a great anchor too. And just a couple other things I'll share if I may, is that um, I think it's really important to take whatever you think that you need and throw it away, you know, cut up the teddy bear, throw, throw the teddy bear away, you know, just try to, I mean, anything that you think that you need, do without your vitamins for a month. Find out that you're not going to die if you don't take your vitamins. You know, because we, we invest our confidence in so many things without, without ourselves that we have no confidence in ourselves, most likely. I, I see this a lot, you know, it, so I, I just feel like the things that we think that we need, just do without them hmm. for a while. And you're going to realize you're not going to die, you know, and you don't need a lot of this stuff. And the other thing I would say is that, uh, you know, you never discount the possibility, possibility of a miracle. You, you always have to hold that as, as an X factor that you never let go of. You can't command it to happen. You can't anticipate it. It's a gift if it shows up, but you always hold space for it. 
because you just, you never know. Yeah. And in the meantime, you do it the old fashioned way. You show up and you keep putting like one foot in front of the other. Like I told someone the other day, it's like, you got to earn your sleep at night. You got to put in a good day's work to know that you deserve to sleep. You got to <laughs> earn it, man. You know? I like that. Well, and from a performance standpoint, that's going to resonate. You know, the, the people listening now are highly active, um, high achievers. They, they've got a good engine, right? They, they work hard. They, they, likely, they likely play hard. And they're, they know what that feels like to have a sort of melancholy, <laughs> listless day and get ready to go to bed and they're not tired. <laughs> And yeah, man. Thinking, ah, that's I skipped my workout today. <laughs> I didn't put my time in. I didn't. I didn't earn. I didn't earn the recovery. Yeah, it, you just feel like you know you you shortcut life. You just don't deserve it. You know, so um, those are things that I think that are really important right now. And not to pro- prophesize what the future is going to be like and catastrophize. You know, just step into it day by day, and do what has to go right to keep momentum moving forward conserve your mental and psychic and physical energy as much as possible. Be a great demonstration to other people how to embrace this with dignity and confront reality head on, but to, to show a, a level of composure that may not be natural for you, but it doesn't have to be. You know, to go back to the imposter syndrome, let's get this straight. Like imposter syndrome is uh, the way that it's traditionally understood is that I don't feel like I'm capable of doing something, but I am, therefore I'm a fake. I say that's garbage. Because how do you actually get better and go to some place you haven't been before unless you act the way that you should be to get to where you wanna go? You can't call that an imposter. The imposter is our human nature side that talks us into things that aren't real. You know, like I'm afraid so I won't even try. You know, I whine, I mean those are, typical human nature. Oh, I got to be perfect to do a good job. Garbage. You know, so when we talk about this kind of an imposter side of things, a real important part of this is that you don't need to be the perfect person to say the perfect thing to that, which a person has to hear from you. Let's get that straight. Is that that's not being an imposter. That's a disseminator of information that's of intense value for the receiver. That's got nothing to do. I had a woman come to me that was an expert in digestive tract health, GI stuff. She said, I'm ashamed because I'm this world leading expert, but yet I have digestive tract problems that I can't cure and nobody knows what to do with it. I feel like I'm an imposter. It's like, what? You know, let's get this straight. You're an expert because you're an expert. What does that have to do with you having digestive tract problems that nobody can figure out? It's two separate things. Mm. So I just, what drives me crazy is that we have this human nature mythology of assumption about what things are when it's not it to begin with. Like, you know, honeymoon euphoria. Uh, oh my God, you know, I'm going, the honeymoon's worn off, therefore bad marriage. Well, who came up with that? I mean, that's like, now we're getting to reality. So I'm just saying here, like what I do with all my coaching clients and the coaching groups and the programs that I put together that people come to share with me, it's like, we talk at things things through the eyes of reality of what it really is not through conjecture or not through pop psychology but about what it really is and i just feel like we need to hold that level of conversation right now and the champions have told us a lot they don't do anything that doesn't work so we can learn a lot from them 
Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. We've, we've, uh, we've got to do a part two and a part three because there's so many different places I want to go, but I want to be, I want to be respectful of your time. Um, before I ask the last question, which is a fill in the blank question, which is mm-hmm. purposeful to put you a little off, uh, off balance. <laughs> <laughs> Everything. Everything's fair, you yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. Before uh, before I ask the film the blank question, can you tell people where people can learn more about you, where they can follow you? Yeah. Thanks for asking. Uh, one thing I'll say here is that um, I created actually a PDF, and it's called "How Not to Blow It Just Before You Win." And the reason why I wrote that is that what I see is the normal, is that when people get to a place where they can actually have a major personal breakthrough, they blow it every time. And so I wrote this white paper because I don't want you to do that. And it's 27 pages. It's almost like an art piece. I'd love for you to have that and read it. The three things that you have to do so you don't blow it just before you win. And you can get that by going to uh, www.drjeffspencer.com. That's D-R-J-E-F-F-S-P-E-N-C-E-R dot com forward slash the number one I, i'm sure sean will put that in the notes but dr jeff spencer dot com forward slash the number one and while you're waiting for that pdf to arrive it'll take you to a video that will actually give you insight and take you on a tour through the uh, champions uh the, the the goal achievement roadmap that you can actually see right here that's the roadmap right there there's like a 30 minute video that you can look at that explains in explicit detail what the structure and the nature of this is. And I think that you'll find that as a, a great compliment to the conversation that we've had so far. Um, so thank you, Sean. And, and also if you'd like to send me an email, just Jeff at drjeffspencer.com. Let me know what you're thinking. Let me know how I might be able to, to support you, whether it's in a group setting, whether it's to, to do something for a business. I mean, there's nothing that, is off limits. Let me know what you're thinking. Would love to hear from you. Love it. Love it. What a cool, what a cool offer. 27 pages from, from this guy's brain, right? That's, that's time well spent. <laughs> busy place in there. Yeah, I, I know. <laughs> I can tell. Uh, so in, in, uh, in conclusion, um, if you would, this can, this is based on, on your, your experience and your knowledge and the wisdom that you share. Um, feel free to um, elaborate as much as you'd like, and please fill in the blank. Everyone would benefit from knowing. Yeah. Everybody would benefit from knowing how to achieve their most important goals. And and the reason why I say that is that there needs to be a trail of evidence of what we've learned in life and to create a legacy that lives on in the human archive, uh, certainly on the internet for all of eternity. And people are going to look at that in what you did with your life and your time and your talents. And it's gonna say maybe one of two things. This is a case study that I wanna follow because where it took somebody, or this is what I don't wanna do because I don't wanna have to be accountable for that. And my dad was the latter. My dad was an artistic genius that died homeless on the streets of New York City as a genius. So his kind of moniker is, he was the guy that could have but didn't. I I would never wanna leave this dimension knowing that I had a chance to manifest something of significance that would validate my value as a human and my contribution and my uniqueness and to live a life at that level of play. Because, you know, having been an Olympian, I actually experienced what it's like to play at your full potential. 
And I can honestly tell you that there is nothing more euphoric in life to experience what that feels like. And if I have anything to say about it, I want that to be an experience that everybody has. Mm-hmm. So that's what I would say. And thanks for the opportunity, Sean. Beautiful. Dr. Jeff Spencer, thank you so much for joining us today on the Optimal Performance Podcast. Let's do it again. Thanks. See you, everybody. And that is that. That is not that. (laughs) Two more things before you go. Number one, if you don't know what kind of CBD to take, you should take a CBD that I take because I spend the time to research the highest quality products and I found it with Jane. Actually, it's Jane. <laughs> Go to withjane.com and use the code Sean15 for 15% off. I I did all the research for you. I, I tried a dozen or so um, CBD products. In fact, several of which are trying to sponsor this podcast, but I like Jane so much um, that I want to continue to support them because I really believe in this product. They have two. They have two types of CBD and you can take one in the morning and one in the evening. And uh, here's how that works. So it's a dropper. It's a one dose dropper. And in the morning you take morning glory. And in the evening you take mellow zone. It's just one dropper full. And, uh, we could all use a little bit more CBD in our life with all the stress and all of the stuff that's going on in the world. And this is the best stuff. It's organically grown on a hemp farm in friggin', you know, Eastern or like Southern Oregon. Um, it is super high quality. I know the, I know the people at the company and they are of the highest integrity. If you're going to take a CBD product, you should definitely take this one for sure. So go to withjane.com and use the code Sean 15. They also make a like rub on hemp relief cream that I have used, um, for a sore foot for a while. And, um, it's, they're really great products. They smell good. They work. They make you feel great. Uh, they help your sleep. You should try them. Second thing. Number two. Uh, I've been asked a lot about my vital C. I've been asked several times about the um, uh, C60 product for longevity. A couple people have DM'd me about it. I, I take it and I like it. And I've noticed a few things that have helped my body improve. And one of those is the, the sort of minimizing of the symptoms from allergies and improved sleep. Uh, those are two great reasons why you should take my vital C. You can go to myvitalc.com and use the code OPP for 15% off. Again, this is new to me, like, you know, having people take products. um, But these are things that I take. These are things that I give my wife. These are things that I share with my friends because I love them so much. and, And it's cool to be able to share these with you and to be able to pass on discounts like that. Man, it's killer. Thank you so much for listening to, for, to today's to be honest, I'm a little stoned. It's a little late at night. <laughs> uh, thank you for listening to the podcast. Uh, I'll see you on the internet. <laughs>